Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinoso. We're reading through the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Like I was saying last time, really just dovetails right off the last chapter. It's about this idea of judging within the church, right? And this is this is a hard idea, judging, right? Today, these days, it's always don't judge me. Who are you to judge? We're not judging here, right? Don't shame people. Um, and yet, as we saw in the last chapter, there's a very strong tradition in the Christian ethic of uh, using this judgment and using the shame within the church, not to, to hurt anybody, but actually to help and to even, as it said, to, to save the spirit of our brother or sister. So this today, we're looking at this now— this is so fascinating. He says, wouldn't you rather just suffer loss? Wouldn't you rather just eat the loss than to actually sue a fellow Christian and to, and to actually bring that kind of shame upon the congregation? It feels really different, but maybe a good kind of different. That's what we're talking about today, and I, I think we'll have plenty of good questions to talk about that are applicable to our own situations today with our guest, Pastor John Shank, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Welcome back, brother. How are you doing? How are the brothers and sisters over there in Edwardsville? We're doing great. Thanks for having me uh, again. Yeah. And uh, and we just had our first school day yesterday, and uh, hey. All right. and that was wonderful to see the kids again, so... Got to start off uh, and and get going with all all new ways of uh, of doing things, but uh, the same Jesus, same teaching, the same faith, and uh, it was glorious. That's awesome, and uh, I, I'm sure that that was. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of apprehension going into that. But I'm sure it was a, a big relief for a lot of people that hey, look, like the kids can go to school and. They, they see their friends and, you know, the parents like had them get sent off to school. And I mean, just those, those sorts of uh, normal things in the, in the community, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously we want to, want to be together. We want to have as, as long as we can do it safely in, in person education for our school, um, you know, we have preschool and K to eight and we'll be in person five days a week for the normal pretty much normal structure of the day, but we just do things differently. We're, you know, have to watch about commingling classes and not doing that. And, you know, just everything is different, you know, with mask wearing and, and separation and, you know, and distancing desks and, and using all different, all different things. But if we can be together, our kids learn better. If we can be together, they're less anxious. If we can be together, um, their stress level and depression and everything goes down because we've had to deal with that too. Um, you know, children who have an anxious heart about a lot of things when we couldn't be together. Children in upper grades, uh, not in our school, but, you know, we have a high school in town uh, and, of course, public school. And there was a lot of children dealing with a lot of levels of anxiety and depression and even um, sadly, some suicidal thoughts uh, because everything was different. They couldn't be together. They were isolated. And so um, as we look to be safe and, and have everything a very, I mean, we're, we're going pretty extreme, but we're doing it very extreme ways so that we can be together as safely and responsibly as we can. 
You know, and, and I think that all of that, what you were just describing, testifies to the value of community life and how precious that is. Not just, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's just, of course, a, a good human gift in general, but particularly in the household of faith, how, how important that is. And, and I think that's a little bit of what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 6, that, you know, th this is so precious, you know, even holy, the Christian communion, the Christian community, how could we bring in these other concerns and let them trump what we have and let them endanger and compromise what we have? And, and you know, this is, this is uh, you know, he calls it uh, in verse 2, you know, um, if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases, right? He calls these matters, these other things, trivial, right? Like, what, you know, why would we let something as small as, say, you know, in this case, like money, right, come before or endanger this community life that we have together that's so precious. So I, I think there's like kind of a little bit of an overlap there that kind of like whether it's a case where it's a dispute between people or whether it's a difficult situation, you know, I think Paul's saying, you know, hey, like, can't you guys, you know, you have the Spirit of God uh, guiding you. Can't you guys just work this out and leave intact the community without just throwing out the baby with the bathwater? Absolutely. And, and the incorporation of a, a pretty um, contemporary issue like we're all dealing with it is applicable because it is about how does the Christian live in the eyes of the public and what lengths should the Christian be willing to go to serve their neighbor. And it's pretty limitless. I mean, it's, it's yeah. supposed to be all in all. It's supposed to incorporate and encompass the life of the Christian is seen in the life of giving self for the neighbor. Um, so, yeah, it totally applies. Yeah, well, and especially to, to what you're getting at there, like that kind of limitless giving of self. Um, I mean, we're going to see in, in coming chapters when, when Paul gets into this idea of, you know, I have these rights, but I'll, I'm just not even going to make use of them. I'd rather just give them up and, you know, act like I don't have any rights rather than, cause someone harm, right? Like, why, why would I use rights um, for my own benefit when I can give them up for someone else's? I mean, it's a very different way of looking at things. But uh, without without going and just uh, doing all of Corinthians here before we <laughs> ever read chapter 6, let's let's go ahead and uh, turn to the text. Good, some good stuff, though, that we can already see is very applicable. Um, uh, right before we go ahead and read, would you, brother, open us up with a prayer? Yes, let us pray. Almighty and most merciful God, preserve us from all harm and danger that we, being ready in both body and soul, may cheerfully accomplish what you want done through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. I recognize that prayer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been stuck in my mind that uh, I can't get off... Uh, you know, we, we, we kind of make these deals with God frequently. Yes, I'll do it. Uh, but that whole cheerfully part yeah. made me pray this prayer pretty constantly this week. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. When I when I, when I was, uh, yeah, praying that in the liturgy on Sunday, like that, that, that cheerfully stuck out to me too, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so let's go ahead and turn to the text. Um, and anything else that you think we ought to... Uh, I don't know, remind ourselves of from like the previous chapters just really quick or anything to call out before we go ahead and read this chapter through? Well, I, I just think it, it does, as you said at the beginning, it does flow from the previous chapter where we're dealing with 
um, the relationship within the body of Christ. So that should never be lost when we're dealing with this. So within the body of Christ, they've been dealing with some struggles, (laughs) pretty big ones. Um, The, the, um, the need to recall a brother from his, his actions and to then recall the congregation from their lack of care for such a brother and what they really should be doing in order to restore and to bring into full repentance and to full um, fellowship with the body. And then it makes sense then that he'd have to bring this up as well, that Paul would have to deal with this situation, which deals with life within the body of Christ. Right. Yeah. I mean, in, in all of these things, in, in the broader uh, framework, just talking about these divisions that mm-hmm. are in the congregation, right? Whether it's a division that's caused because of um, a disagreement over what to do about uh, sin that's in the community or a disagreement because of this, uh, you know, lawsuit, apparently. But uh, let's go ahead and, and read this here and figure out what kind of source of division are we talking about here in chapter six of First Corinthians from the top English Standard Version. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers, but brother goes to law against brother and have before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, uh, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
So there's a uh, this is it's really interesting in this chapter how this happens, and uh, this is one where depending on the translation you have. Uh, this turn that happens in verse 12, right? Because it it seems like in the the first half, it's like, okay, yeah, it's just kind of continuing on uh, the previous chapter, uh, chapter 5. It's just kind of, you know, these divisions and such things. Um, But then you get to to verse 12, and what's fascinating is how, like, the ESV, and I think pretty much most of the major translations do this. um, I think the NIV does, but it's like he says, all things are lawful for me in quotes, right? Uh, And then he has a rejoinder, and then he does the same thing, and, and another rejoinder. So it, it seems like we're moving into this part of the chapter, the interpretation is anyway, where he's quoting parts of their letter, and he's addressing these different things. So uh, th- that's, I think, kind of the big question about this chapter. Is he just sort of like abruptly taking up a new subject in verse 12, where it's just kind of like, okay, I'm done dealing with that stuff, now I'm taking up the next thing in your letter, or is there some kind of connection between the first half and the second half of this chapter? Because it kind of feels like pretty different topics. Yeah, I, th- I think we have a transition, but the transition is definitely, in my opinion, is definitely connected to okay. what came before uh, based on the freedom of a Christian. Um, but that freedom of a Christian then is enslaved to the needs of my neighbor, and I think he so masterfully is used, you know, if this quote, like you said, is being used from them um, now, uh, now against them. Uh, so I think I think we have a transition, but a transition uh, that is, is used, uh, you know, appropriately to make that connecting point to here's a here's a dispute, but let's see how this dispute would work out um, in the Christian freedom, which you should not. You should not use. So, I think there is uh, uh, there's connection there. Okay, so seeing the connection in uh, Christian freedom. Well, I mean, certainly Christian freedom is uh, going to be coming up as mm-hmm. a as a big theme later on. Um, I mean, I don't I don't know. So uh, let, me, let me explain. Go, a yeah, little go bit ahead. Go more. ahead. Yeah. So, can can the Christian use the court system? Well, yes, but to what end? Because Paul himself uses the court system. He does. He actually right. calls upon it. And when when the Christian confession of Christ, when he is being uh, mistreated as a citizen of the state, when this, when this is an issue of the—and we can get more into that— but when it's an issue of the state and not about the fellowship of the body, the Christian is free to use these things because God has ordained the government. But— um, hmm. Hmm. So we have to we have to examine what we're the Christian always has to examine what we're doing. We always have to examine and and um, and look at the heart of the matter and how we're doing it, because then we're not free. Just like in the the freedom of the Christian, how does he lay that out? He lays yeah. it out in which we're to- totally completely free, but in the end, we're actually not free to use our freedom against our neighbor and to. To then create ourselves as an then you're you're you are you're actually enslaving yourself again. So it's a massive work from um, some from Luther, and I would put push people towards it. So it's not to say that the Christian is actually free to do anything, because then we actually haven't read that um, mm-hmm. and haven't read it right. Um, that the Christian is bound up in the needs of our neighbor, 
So Paul uses the the uh, civil government, um, and uh, and you can see that in the Book of Acts uh, quite quite clearly. And then you can actually see it in uh, Romans where he actually lays out the God ordaining uh, the the need for government. So here we're not rejecting that the Christian cannot be a civil judge either, but each has its place. And so now we're going back here, uh, if we can start at the beginning of the chapter, yeah. uh, to to where where has this whole book been centered? And the whole book has been centered, uh, this whole letter has been centered in the life of the Christian uh, within fellowship to each other. So um, there's lots of questions that have to be asked um, when we are ministering to our people about a lawsuit. Um, yeah. Okay. So th- that's that's interesting. I can I can see what you mean now that you know there there is a connection like that. You could see that in in Christian freedom, and and what you, I mean, I guess these would both be examples of um, how how we should not use freedom. How right. I, I mean, like it, it's a, the the thing I struggle with. I guess is that like I I can see how one could say like well you know we are free. Uh, in terms of the law, and we can avail ourselves of the law, but wouldn't we rather voluntarily give that up out of love in the case of the first half of chapter six? But then the second half of chapter six, like, I, I guess it's different, right, with sexual morality, because we would not, we would not say that, well, you know, like, you're, you're, you're free to engage in sexual morality, but wouldn't you, for the sake of love, just rather not do that? Um so I mean, like the two are like different in in, in that regard, right? That yeah, he is yeah. Uh, he is making a transition, like I said, but a transition yeah. that's built on a uh, on a connecting line. So yeah, I don't yeah. Think so, he's, I mean, I think it would be wrong for us to read it like, "Oh man, he's just in a whole different ballpark." Um, I think there's a connection, but it's well, uh, now talking about something new. But he does it well, through a transition. Well, I want to ask you about another possible connection, and that's going back to chapter 5, because in chapter 5, um, before we got to this idea of church discipline and, and kind of like just the, the, the this general idea of, you know, judging within the church, he was specifically talking about the case of sexual morality, right? Mm-hmm. Back in chapter 5 at the beginning, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Right, so he he goes on, and that's what's like the the launching point in chapter five, where he get, then goes on to to he get, has the list right. Where was it? It was um, yeah yeah that's right. It was in chapter uh, five verse eleven, where he gives that list and he says you know uh, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And then he has almost the same list here in chapter six, where he goes on and says, uh, "Where was the the bit where he like seems to repeat the list basically here?" It was in chapter six, yeah, verse. It's slightly different, uh, but it's in verse nine. Then, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. So the list is almost the same. Um, and, and I don't know if there's any significance in the list being different. But so uh, w- w- part of the thing that I'm wondering is to what extent is is it that uh, he's actually going back to the previous topic, going back to Chapter 5? What do you think about that? 
Sure. Yeah, I think, I mean, like you said, he's going back to Chapter 5, but going back all the way to Chapter 1 where, you know, who are you following? I mean, and through all of this, are you following are you following Christ or are you living in the divisions that you've had? So, yeah, going back to chapter five, but there is a theme, as you laid out at the beginning, of division that kind of brings out the greatest overarching theme of the problem within the body of Christ in, in Corinth. They they are divided. That leads them all the way to chapter 11 problems at the table. You can't, th- these divisions can't bring us to a place of unity at the table. We have to deal with the divisions and the, the first the first division here about how we're actually going to going to treat each other around what we would say is my rights or my my due to the point of of suing each other or bringing our air, our grievances out in the public square as a body of Christ um which yeah. This is, uh, yeah. I, I, if you can understand how horrible that is, where the divisions within that aren't eternal. I'm not talking about that the body of Christ is eternally divided. That's not true. But here within their felt within this particular church's fellowship, they're, they've been divided, and now they're seeking, um, seeking the world to bring about. Uh, unity so right. their their angle is all their trajectory their their sense of where would they actually be made whole and one right is, is so so wrongly placed well so okay so i i think th- this is really interesting the way that you just brought this out right Th- they they have this this cause for division I think this is really good what you're saying, and they're, and they're trying to use the world, the the means of power, right, in coercion. Right. They're trying right. to use that power structure to fix their church problems, right? Um, and and what, what's fascinating is in chapter five, Paul is talking about, well, here's how you guys fix this church problem: purge the evil person from among you, right? There's a quote, except that's not a quote from their letter; that's a quote from the Old Testament. So uh, th- this then really, especially when it says, you know, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So th- this is making me wonder if the lawsuit is about the case of sexual immorality. Because if he's talking about beforehand in chapter 5, and he's talking about it in the second place, uh, in the second half of chapter 6, I mean, I'm just thinking, so did we ever actually leave that topic? It seems like maybe not, actually. Like, he's just talking about the same thing the whole while. And it's interesting the way he talks about this in chapter 5, where he says, um, for a man has his father's wife. You wonder if what's going on is that, I, I I don't know, perhaps the other relatives in this family have brought this suit against the man or 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 or, may, or maybe the woman's uh like siblings or something like that and they're trying to use the law to say whoa this isn't right this is this is uh this is immoral right you know as he says it's uh even the pagans agree that it's immoral uh when what they should be doing is trying is just dealing with this themselves i, I don't know I, 
uh, yeah, I'll no. let you th- think about that. It's time for our break, but sure. we gotta we gotta hold on for just a short little bit. Everybody, hang on. We're looking at First Corinthians chapter six here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. ago, a story began. I am. I am. The story that will never end, because this is the story of God's love for us. He has risen. He is alive. Welcome to the Lamplighter Classic Audio Series. You are there. Now, you can enjoy this Lamplighter Classic, You Are There, together as a family. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Have you ever wondered if your investments could do more? I mean, a whole lot more? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. When you invest with us, you not only earn a competitive interest rate, but your investment goes to strengthen Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations through low-cost loans and services. To learn more, visit lcef.org backslash invest101. Wednesday on Issues Etc. We'll continue our series, The Words of Scripture, talking with Pastor Will Whedon about the word blessed in the New Testament. And we'll discuss a New York Times story about evangelical support for President Trump titled Christianity Will Have Power. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today, joined by our guest, Pastor John Shank, at Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois, where, by God's grace, we've had the first day of school, and it sounds like it it went okay. It's uh, good to have the community of God back together, and that's the theme. We're talking about the community of God and uh, the division in the case of the church in Corinth, what's going on between these uh, cases of sexual immorality and uh, what seems to have evolved into a legal dispute. If you've got a question or comment for us, we got some questions that came in via email. You can join the conversation, call in 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send a question via email. KFUO at KFUO.org, or you can hop on the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. I want to thank also our underwriters to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you for your support of Thy Strong Word. Their website, lhfmissions.org, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Uh, so, brother, yeah, I was just kind of throwing yeah. out, you know, just, uh, just kind of thinking about some different things. Like, how are, you know, if, if there is a sexual morality with like this list that's almost exactly the same as later. Then there's a bit about lawsuits. Then he goes, seemed, seems to go back to the same topic. Is there, I, is there a chance that actually we, this is all the same topic in Paul's head? I think it's the same topic because it's the ways of the world. 
So I think he's trying to contrast the ways of the world and the ways of unbelief to the to the dramatic and um, eternal life-changing ways of the kingdom of God. And so I guess I just um, I struggle. I could do, do com, could completely be right that the family members are bringing lawsuits. It just seems in his strong uh, judgment of the congregation that they're not doing anything about it. So I think I look at what Locke would put in his commentary about um, this whole lawsuit issue, where um, yeah. those who are rich often were able to use the loss, uh, the court system against those who did not have means, and so would have a privileged um, uh, legal judgment. And that I think that connects us to, from what he said, I, I didn't come up on this on my own. Um, yeah, yeah, connects yeah. us to. Um, the table and the the struggles that they were having in fellowship around the table where those who were going on before, kind of like the rich uh, who didn't have to work, could move forward and 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 eat and not and not wait and not have union around the table. So we have like ways of the world, uh, and there's their using of the ways of the world to add wealth to themselves. Um, we're still being struggled in the community, and we shouldn't be looking for ourselves. Um, he has a wonderful um, answers to, to the Christian and the uh, and courts of law, and the questions that we should ask ourselves about what are we doing, who's involved, um, and and what purpose is this lawsuit being being brought forward? I think he does a great job. Yeah, that's um, yeah. I, I think that you don't have to read it as uh, certainly that there's, uh, I mean, like a lawsuit about this particular thing. In fact, I, I almost wonder when, when we're reading this here, um, is is there actually a lawsuit going on? That, that that's I think my follow up question. That when you when you read this right, because he says there in verse one, uh, the phrasing is when one of you has a grievance against one another, right? I mean, that's very different from the way that he was talking uh, back in chapter 5, where he starts off, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, right? So, I mean, in that case, it's like he's clearly saying, like, this is the thing that's going on, right? And I, let me let me talk about this. Uh, where in, in chapter 6, he's just kind of saying, like, well, you know, wh when this happens, like, would you would you even think about doing this? So I, I want part of me wonders then if, per, if perhaps um, rather than saying you know that there is actually like a specific lawsuit that's been brought up because of the sexual sexual immorality thing, if this whole lawsuit thing is almost just kind of like a thought experiment to get back at the point of dealing with these cases of sexual immorality inside the church. I mean, so so how about uh, I, this will be the last one I just kind of throw out you and just kind of throwing right. things at the wall here. Yeah. But I mean, what what do you think of that? That is is this perhaps just like a um, almost like a thought experiment or like an example? Like, hey, well, you wouldn't do this with a lawsuit, so wouldn't you just figure this out in the church also with sexual morality? I th I think you I think we're getting closer. I don't think there is a specific lawsuit, but I think this has been happening, and I do like how. Uh, like what translates, because he starts off by just, uh, he starts off differently. He goes, how dare any one of you do this? And he brings huh. the dare up to the beginning. And yeah, I think yeah. I think that's a great uh, judge, bringing the judgment out, saying, this is kind of a habitual action. You are doing this. 
and now you're doing this within the community. How dare you do that? Don't you know this about the future that you will you are to be judges um, in the in the last days? And that lack of judgment, and I think this is the connecting. That lack of judgment is being seen in multiple ways of divisions within the community. In this way, uh, maybe rich and poor, maybe uh, those who have have nots or whatever. Uh, but also, your lack of judgment is being seen in in how you're not handling this person who should be cast out in order to bring them back in repentance, in order, and then your lack of judgment in all these sexual these sexual sins, but other other sins too, uh, um, you know, thieves and greedy and drunkards. There's there's many things that are listed on those who will not in, inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, no, and, and that's uh, that's actually yeah, it's a really cool way of translating it. It's a, it's probably better. I mean, you you look at the Greek and the, uh, the the first word in the Greek, right? Is is the verb there? The um, the, the dare word. So I mean, right. that, if that's the it's if that's the first word in in Greek, right? Like that's certainly Paul's point that it, it's uh because I think that's maybe like the weakness of the um the English Aaron version here because when it says you know when one of you has a grievance against one another, that makes it sound like he's moving on to a new topic, right? Right. Whereas if you if you stick with what the way that Paul has it ordered as this other translation you were mentioning, um in the commentary, right? When you see you know, like. Dare you go to law when you have a grievance against one another? I, I think that that is getting us closer to it. So, yeah, I, I really actually like that. The kind of just this idea that, you know, I'm not really shifting gears here, guys. Like, I'm I'm, I'm making the point that, you know, we, we need to judge within the church, and it's not about power. It's not about ma- making one side look bad or you know making ourselves look good. That that would be a misuse of of law, which which uh, brings us to some email questions we got. Okay. Uh, looking at the, looking at this chapter, then the question is, what are the three uses of the law, and how is the law being used, perhaps with those three different uses in this chapter? I think that's a really cool question. Oh sure. So uh, the first use of the, uh, of the law is curb. So uh, you would be. This is the governmental use of the law. This is not uh, the the use that's that's used within the the church. Um, so this use is is still God ordained. We have to understand that over all of our discussions of the law, God rules over all things, right? Yeah. And that God has established government. So when and God has established a government and placed the sword of judgment within their hand, that this is is still good to curb chaos. And anarchy, and and to, to promote peace, and uh, the the ability to to live in his world, because uh, without the curb of the law, uh, it is anarchy, and that is that's uh, chaos is never good. Chaos is never good. So the second use right. of the law, uh, the the is the mirror, the theological use of the law, in which the in the the uh, the true preaching of the law in its full sternness is to show us not that we just have a little. Um, uh, a little pimple here or there, but when you look into the law, you you see um, you see a dead man walking. You see yeah. a, you see Skeletor before you. You see death, <laughs> not life, right? And yeah, uh, yeah mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of the wall? It's not you. It's, yeah. it's not you. You are dead in your sins. So whenever we preach the law, we, not, we need to be 
be careful not to do it with pillows and softness, that the yeah. law needs to be preached to its full sternness so that we can understand um, our full need for God's salvation, uh, because it's there that when we hear of God's grace, it actually then makes uh, makes more sense, because uh, apart from our need, it seems um, abusive that the Son of God would have to die. Uh, but if we understand the fullness of our sin, then we understand, or we, we get by the grace of God, we get by the working of the Holy Spirit, we receive that um, that such a sacrifice was needed. So that's the second use of law. And the third use of law is um, the, the guide or rule in which we, as Christians, not looking to the law for our salvation, that's already done and been worked in Christ. Um, we are baptized children of God. We look back to the law and say, what is, God's, what is God pleasing for our life together? And I definitely see um, both second and third uses of the law here uh, in which how dare you do this, do this. <laughs> um, this yeah. is what your life should look like instead. And neither, and both are good. Uh, I think sometimes uh, when we are parsing it out, we have to be careful that we're not uh, <laughs> we're not trying to take the place of the Holy Spirit. The Holy when we preach the counsel of God, the Holy Spirit will work the uses. We have to identify there are right. uses, <laughs> but God God through the working of the Holy Spirit is control. Yeah, he's uses. ultimately the one who's using it. <laughs> yes. So when we right. preach, don't do this, um, right. at, at sometimes a person who has done this or has had his heart inclined to do that will be yeah. convicted of it, and that is yeah. that is good, and we are brought to repentance. But then that person who might not have been tempted by that particular law, whatever that is, right. is informed to teach their children uh, yeah. that, hey, this is this is. Don't go that way. Go this way. That's right. Um, and that's, that's right. good. That's good too. And it, yeah, that reminds lay... me. I, I was going to say that, that reminds me. I forget who it was, but more than my. Well, I mean, I think it was more than just one of them. But I just remember it was in one of my preaching classes back at the seminary that um, one of the professors I had, I think, was in particular like very emphatic about you know really it's more like three functions of the law because it's going to function in these different ways. But I mean, who's to say how it's going to function? Right? Like we really can't right. have. I, I mean, on a certain level, you got to have the humility to say, "I'm not really using it, right? Like, I'm I'm conveying it. I'm a mouthpiece, right? But God's going to do with it whatever He will." Like you were saying, like it might be functioning three different ways, and on three different people in the room, right? I mean, it's just right. uh, so uh, that that's that's I think a really fair point. And so you know, it's hard to say in some ways um, whether you know it's it's just one way or another um, could be functioning on different levels. Uh, I do think, though, that, you know, with this this kind of very pastoral approach that we were seeing Paul take, like earlier when he was saying, you know, earlier, brothers, I couldn't even address you as spiritual people. I had to address you as uh, infants, and, and even so, I'm doing so now, right? So, it was like, he, he is, uh, on a certain level, like, working with them and trying to, like, approach them where they're at. And so, yeah, I think that's an interest. Um, you, yeah, I think you could go one way and say, if this is a specific actual thing that's happening that there's that they're bringing lawsuits then that would definitely be like the second use of the law um because he he does say that right like if you uh go down to where is it in, in verse five i say this to your shame right yeah can't, yeah. can't, can't i mean that pretty clearly sounds like the second use of the law right which is just um 
uh, something that we're uncomfortable with that like oh he's shaming them you know like uh, how how dare he do that you know he, they shouldn't feel ashamed of anything but i mean th- this this is the problem right like if we if we're afraid to to shame anything or afraid that we ever bring shame on anyone and we we have a culture where we can never feel shame then i mean that means there's there's no second of the use of the law anywhere that means everybody um is holding up the mirror but the mirror has I, I don't I don't know like just like a like a, a printout of like you know Tom Cruise on it like and and that's what they're looking at every day and they're not actually seeing the real problems and we're not sure. dealing with the real problems we're all living in fantasy land then. I mean like you need shame to to actually come to your senses like you were saying yeah yeah we definitely <laughs> and we're being honest there are many times where we're ashamed of ourselves because we should not have done this but again, I think you're totally right with that uh, preaching example between the second and third uh, uses of the law uh, or um, functions of the law that um, we're really not in control because both things happen. Both right. things happen by the working of, of the Holy Spirit that as, as we are, are brought to confess our sins, you know, we are turned away to walk in a new direction towards towards Christ, and that is, I mean, and as we reflect about it on, on the way in which I want to live my like, what is the new intention of the Christian? It is a third useful. I mean, so it's like, well, it's good to know them. It's good to know them so that we don't misunderstand that this is our salvation. Our salvation is in Jesus. But then when we try to parse it out too harshly between second and third use of law when it comes to which one's being used right now, um, it, it becomes a bit impossible. Sure. No, that, 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 that's, that, yeah, it's really, that's really fair. I mean, you, you, you can kind of say, like, maybe this is what Paul was, like, emphasizing, but but you can't really know exactly— how it's like impacting every everybody in Corinth certainly that's that's the point right the, yeah, the actually yeah. in the subject the end that one person in the pew and that's what we're always talking thinking about as pastors this one right. person um the lord is in control if they're if they're needing to be brought to repentance because of a particular sin that they have committed um even if it's just in their heart well he'll work it my call as pastor is to preach the word and if it's going to instruct, it always instructs. If it's going to bring to repentance, his word always brings us to repentance. I'll trust in him. Well, so so going going to the people who's uh, the people in the pew, right? This this is interesting. You know, the, when he says in verses six and seven and eight, brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. So when you're talking about the not not necessarily what the pastor is up to, but like what what the people are doing here. Um, and this is, it's just crazy how much this actually goes on um, today, even when we don't realize it. But yeah, Christians, unfortunately, are kind of constantly involved in lawsuits because, I mean, everyone in our culture, in Western society, is caught up in lawsuits all the time. And, and it's so interesting what he says, that you know, to have lawsuits at all is already a defeat. I mean, this, is, this, is a, this is, I think, a moment where he's challenging them to think differently right? Like think differently about it. Like you, you don't, cause when you, when you have a lawsuit, right, you're going into it, like I want to win. Right. Um, and he's saying, if you, if you have a lawsuit, you lost already, you already lost. So, so it, wouldn't it be better to just not have a lawsuit, right? Because it, it's, you're guaranteed to lose just by default if you have this lawsuit. So it's just better just to, just to take it. I mean, th- that's just such a, 
uh, it's such a countercultural and such a countercultural ethic. I mean, talking about how the people in the pews are, are supposed to be behaving, right? Especially when we, again, I would encourage people to take a look at the commentary because he does ask the, the questions that should be, um, should be the ethic that we should follow uh, when he talks about Christians in, the, in, in courts of law, because there are times where the Christian should bring a lawsuit. And that sounds like, well, then that's totally going against this. Well, no, it, it's, it's not. For what instance? Well, for the, for the rights of life. So if the, 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 the world is saying that we should uh, end the lives of babies, should not the Christians take up and say, no, this is wrong, and, and fight for life? Well, that's yes. But again, we're identifying who are we, who is it, who's between the two people? Because we're not, we're not, we should not be suing Christians over the rights of life, because Christians should understand that every life is from God and is precious and is, it actually belongs to Christ because it's been redeemed by the blood of his son. So he goes through all these scenarios in which, not scenarios, or at least questions in which this is, is being meted out. Um, are we, like you said, are we, are we trying to win? Are we trying to do this just for gain? Are we seeking a lawsuit with a brother? Because if it is with a brother in Christ, as it is when, within chapter 6, well, those you should actually find other means, just like in our church body with conflict resolution and mediation, and you know trying to um, trying to find unity together, in which we're we're starting that whole process and the whole work with the thought that I might need to ex, you know extend forgiveness or ask for forgiveness at any time because I could be wrong, um, but I need to work. Uh, work for this. And we're seeking totally different means to do so. We're seeking right. uh, a Christian within the body of Christ so that we're not looking divided in our, in our community. We're not, we're not looking like, oh, what's, what's the difference between, you know, joining uh, a charity uh, group or being part of the church? Because they're suing each other. You know, this charity group sues each other all the time. You know, it's like, no, we don't, we don't want any of that because it goes against, again, what I was talking about before, it goes against the direction of where, where are we made whole? Because I'm not it, made whole yeah. by winning this court. I'm made whole in Christ. Okay, and that's, that's really well said because, like you were saying, there's a, there's a difference here because you can tell— Right, like what what kind of lawsuit is he talking about? Right, he's not talking about any reason why you would step into a courtroom. Uh, you know, he yeah. says, you know, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Right. So he's right. talking about these cases where you are seeking to, like you were saying, to be made whole. Right. You're like, right. oh, I, I have I have lost something. I have lost money. He cost me business. He destroyed. He damaged my property. Right. And I want, um, I want some kind of compensation. Right. So, I mean, that's what he's talking about. Like, yeah. do not go and seek compensation through legal power means of a fellow Christian. Don't do it. Yeah. Within uh, the I, body, I mean, within the, within yeah, the that's congregation, right. you're doing this. So, that's again, right. we have to identify what he is talking about and what he's not. He's not talking yeah. about two corporations trying to get a, a contract you know, result. He's not talking about that. Right. He's talking about you, brother, taking your silly fence lawsuit to the to the county when you're both part of this church. Isn't there right. a better way to handle that? 
Right. Well, and, and then similarly, then like if even if God forbid there was a case where, I mean, I don't know. I I, I mean, there were there were two members of the congregation that, um, they, they were they were. I mean, I mean, you know, God forbid, but this is, this has happened, right? Where um, one of them is is um, is falling to the temptation to take the life of their unborn child, and there's a disagreement right. between the two, right? And, and then you know, there's a uh, like a lawsuit or something like that. Like, well, see, in that case, if if there is a lawsuit like that, you're not using the lawsuit to try to get compensation. You're trying to do right. it, like you were saying, save a life, right? So, in, in a case where you are doing it not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of someone else. See, that's what changes. And there was an email question yeah. that came in. So like, so hang on a second. So, you know, to, to what extent is, you know, justice um, like a God-ordained thing that we can seek as Christians? Well, the thing is, it's justice for somebody else, right? And Luther had the same test when he was talking about um, swearing by God's name. He was saying, he's, you know, he says in the small catechism, just don't do it. Um, but then he says, you know, later in the large catechism, well— if it's absolutely necessary for somebody else's sake, then yeah, you can do that. So, so can a Christian like you know put his hand on the Bible and say you know I ter- I swear swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God, because their testimony might exonerate an innocent man. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's for somebody else's sake. But I mean, that's the test. Like you were saying, like is it is it ourselves seeking uh, our own wholeness because that's just wrong-headed because it's dividing the body of Christ or is it us trying to help somebody else in, in which case it doesn't even matter whether they're Christian or non-Christian because uh, either way the the motive is is love right and I think you know they would be strong words of the Bible against someone who is who is in the body who has wronged another and is not seeking to make that whole too Right. right. So now we're dealing with one side of it, but pastorally, if someone who has, uh, you know, destroyed someone's property is like, well, I can get away with it because they can't sue me. Well, there's strong words against that too. We're yeah. just dealing with this one particular thing in this one particular chapter. So All let's right. not destroy the word of God holistically uh, with certain, you know, w- without the word of God addressing that other sin problem too in another right. place. Right, as Paul said, you know. So then, should we sin that grace may abound? Right, like so. By yeah, no means. Yeah. So let's not. Let's no. not. Let's not go the other direction. Um, we're almost out of time, but I want to get to one other question that that was had. So you know, so here at the at the end of this section here, uh, so maybe we'll just kind of talk about this, um, maybe in conclusion. So he repeats that long list. Right, the list is slightly different. I don't know if you have any thoughts about why it is slightly different. Um, and then in verse eleven. Um, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question that came in over email was, is that a sequence? Is that like first they were washed and then they became sanctified and then consequently they were justified? Um, if not, is that a sequence? If yeah. if so, then what? If if not, then then why is he why is he listed in that order? Um, and then kind of like, what does each one of these things mean, right? Like, I mean, are they all the same thing? Are, th- are there distinctions between them? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. I, I, had, uh, I had asked uh, Chancellor Whedon some questions about the baptismal rite at one time, yeah. and uh, he answered, he's like, you know, John, you, you, all these things are happening right in the font, <laughs> right yeah. now, right in the font. But how does our language work? 
it, it works that we can't say all these things. We don't have a way of saying it all at once. <laughs> but it all happens at once in the font. It was beautiful. Change, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful way to understand. So when we say uh, we're washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. This is our baptismal gift. It It is done for you there. Uh, but how do we speak about it? Well, of course, there are many different words that we use speaking about what our God does to us, for us, through his Son, and by the means of grace. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, well, and, and I think also, too, the, um, the, the the Greek language here is actually kind of helpful, because he doesn't say um, you know, washed and sanctified and justified. <laughs> and in fact, the word in Greek is Allah, which is this, um, like, basically means, like, rather, which, which I think then... Um, it kind of really supports then this idea that these are all just kind of like you were saying, you, you have to say it using three sentences, but they're all meant to be expressing what's happening at the same time. Right. He's like, you know, uh, you, I guess, I guess he says, you know, and these things, uh, some of you were, uh, but it's kind of like, but now rather you've been washed rather now you've been made holy rather now, you have been justified. So I, I think that's the idea. Like he's just like kind of throwing out different ways or different pictures of their current state. But yeah, they all, they all happened um, through yeah. the same working of the spirit. And it's such a beautiful uh, baptismal way of seeing it. They were of the world. See all these things that have come before. These are all of the world. They are of darkness, but now you have been brought into the light. And praise be to God. That's what he does for us as he makes us a part of his body all by grace. So thank you so much, brother. I, I wish you the very best as you continue on with the brand new school year. Looking forward to talking to you and hearing from you again real soon. God's blessing. Thanks, everybody. That was Pastor John Shank at Trinity Lutheran in Edwardsville, Illinois. Moving on to Chapter 7. Till then, I'm Pastor H.A. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.